0: Hi there, and welcome to the podcast for Monday, January 25th. Coming up, Tom Brady going to his 10th Super Bowl with a chance to win his seventh ring. Plus, with 40% of Ontario, long-term care homes in outbreak, the calls are growing louder to bring the military back in. And we'll talk about the broadcasting legend and the legacy of Larry King, who we lost over the weekend. That all ahead on the podcast right now. Well, the Super Bowl matchup is now set. Chiefs will take on the Buccaneers, who become the first team in history to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium, as, of course, Tampa Bay will host this year's Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. With a bit of a preview and a look back at what happened yesterday, here's our buddy Rick Zamperin from 900CHML in Hamilton. He joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Rick, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Not as good as Tom Brady, but I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Uh, Tom making it to his uh, 10th Super Bowl, and it's just really nice, isn't it, Rick, to see something finally go right for Tom Brady?
1: You know, some (laughs) describe him as fine wine, others like a bad rash, and he just won't go away. Uh, You know, 10 Super Bowls now, this will be his 10th appearance in the NFL's grandest game. Uh, And when you look at his contemporaries, Peyton Manning, Uh, Aaron Rodgers, who he beat yesterday in the NFC title game. Uh, Drew Brees, another all-time great quarterback. Those guys combined went to six Super Bowls. Tom Brady himself is going to number 10. It's unbelievable.
0: I read this this morning. How about this for an unbelievable fact? Tom Brady has played in more Super Bowls than any other team but one, which of course is the Patriots, which he took to the Super Bowl numerous times.
1: That's insane. Isn't
0: insane. it crazy? That and the fact that uh, when he plays in a couple of weeks, he will have played in the Super Bowl under four different U.S. presidents. First Bush, then Obama, then Trump, and, of course, now uh, Biden. I mean, it's just mind-blowing the way this guy, you know, his longevity and the way he's been rewriting the NFL record book.
1: And, and we should say two things. Number one, uh, you, you know, he is the, the greatest quarterback of all time. He's proved it over his 20-plus uh, year NFL career he's 43 and still getting the job done um, in the same sense football is one of the ultimate team sports that we that we you know we, we watch on a daily basis so it's not just one guy it's not just Tom Brady going out there and you know throwing eight touchdowns a game it's it's the defensive teams he's been on uh, have been phenomenal special teams teams especially with the Patriots have been unbelievable and offensively for the most part, especially during his New England days, they were just a juggernaut, and they were a well-coached team. Bill Belichick is you know, one of the best coaches of all time. Bruce Arians, also a very good coach. So it's not just one player, but in saying that, Tom Brady is just unbelievable. I think he gives whatever team he is on. If you put him on the Detroit Lions, one of the laughingstocks of the NFL, he at least gives the other guys in that locker room confidence that they can win on any given Sunday. And he's certainly done that with the Buccaneers.
0: Well, I hear what you're saying, Rick. I mean, it's a team sport. But having said that, do you think there's any way that the Buccaneers are playing at home in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks if they didn't pick up Tom Brady? Probably not. No, I mean,
1: last year they had Jameis Winston, and he threw more than 30 interceptions in a season, and they weren't even anywhere close to a playoff spot. So, A, this is the first time Tampa Bay's been in the playoffs since 2002, and the first time since 2002 that they've been in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, Tom Brady has a massive part in the the success of this franchise this year.
0: Okay, and this is really intriguing, the Super Bowl matchup, because it's a Tom Brady, the GOAT, the old guard, versus the reigning MVP and Super Bowl champion Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. By the way, Mahomes uh, apparently said when asked about facing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, Rick, he said this, to go up against one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback of all time in his 150th Super Bowl is going to be a great experience. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love that. Uh, He's obviously not intimidated.
1: No, not at all. And he shouldn't be because Patrick Mahomes in his own right is one of the best QBs on the planet himself. I mean, he doesn't have... 10 Super Bowl appearances or six Super Bowl rings that uh, Tom Brady has, but he is still one of the best QBs in the NFL. And let's not forget that the Chiefs are the defending champs. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the defending Super Bowl MVP of that championship game last year. So, you know, they shouldn't be afraid. Yes, they're going into Tampa Bay. But there's only going to be 22,000 fans, many of whom will not have an allegiance to Tampa Bay, although they might come game time. But, as we know that the Super Bowl, you know, attracts from fans from really around the world, although this this being the pandemic Super Bowl might be a little bit different. But I don't think the Chiefs should be scared. They're favorites, number one, three-point favorites going into this game, and that's saying a lot because the game is in Tampa where the Buccaneers call home. Um, but who knows? Come Super Bowl Sunday, anything can happen. I will say this, that Mahomes and Brady have now played four times. The combined score in those four games, and I think they're 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 split two and two, the combined score in those games, 121 to 120 in favor of Mahomes' as Chiefs.
0: Love it. Love it. Do you think you referenced the fans a second ago, limited attendance for the Super Bowl because of the pandemic? And, you know, this is kind of really strange, the first time that a team has played the Super Bowl in their home stadium. But because of the pandemic and those limited number of fans, do you think it's going to be as big of an advantage for the Bucs as if it were pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I, you know, if, if if we're not in a pandemic right now, you have eighty thousand potential screaming fans uh, in that ballpark, and you know that you know a lot of the tickets for the Super Bowl are sold uh, even before the season or throughout the season, and um, you know come Super Bowl time, and there's only two teams left, fans of those two teams, you know, scrambling to the secondary market to get those tickets. So. If we're not in the pandemic, you know, you're probably seeing 60,000 of those 80,000 fans being Buccaneers fans. So that would truly be a home uh, uh, kind of feel for the Bucks. But given that we're in a pandemic, 7,500 of those 22,000 are going to healthcare workers for free, which is a great gesture. But those other, you know, 14 some odd fans, 14,000 uh, some odd fans. You know, they might be Bills fans. They might be uh, Denver Broncos fans. They're not all going to be Buccaneers fans. Now, some of them might be, or a lot of them, maybe even most of those 14,000 probably will be, but it's just not going to be the same if it were not in a pandemic.
0: All right, speaking of Bills fans, just a quick shout-out to the Bills and the season they had. But, uh, oh, broke our hearts yet again. And I don't know, did you have this feeling I did, Rick, watching the game yesterday when they hit the upright on the extra point after that touchdown that they would have went up 10 nothing. Instead, it's 9 nothing. that you just knew the writing was on the wall.
1: Well, I thought two things. Yeah, number one, they got a gif there on the on the muffed punt, and then they scored a touchdown right after. But then, yeah, after missing that extra point, I thought, uh-oh, you know, here comes Buffalo, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, even, even down 9 nothing, that's like being down, you know, 3 to nothing for the Chiefs. I mean, that that is not insurmountable, especially with their offense. But, you know what, for Buffalo, fantastic season, just not their time. Just not their time. I think they're on the cusp of being one of those perennial powerhouses, and I think this was really step number one in that process.
2: All
0: right, just a final word on the Super Bowl. It's early, just decided the matchup, of course, last night. But do you think Tom Brady further cements – is uh, standing as the goat, or do you think that we see uh, really kind of a true changing of the guard here with uh, Mahomes prevailing over uh, Tom?
1: Uh, right now, you know, win or lose, uh, I think Brady's the goat, even if he loses. But sure. you know, you know what they call a baby goat, and that's the kid, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's on the cusp of something good. Uh, right now, my gut is telling me Chiefs win this thing, but who knows? Who knows?
0: Absolutely. But you know what? Roger Goodell got to be really happy. He's got really a dream Super Bowl uh, matchup and a lot of football fans eagerly awaiting Super Sunday. Rick, thanks as always. Good to speak with you.
1: You got it. Have a good one.
0: You as well. Rick Samprin from 900CHML in Hamilton. Well, concern continues when it comes to our long-term care homes. Forty percent of them in the province now currently in outbreak. Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos is an LTC advocate and joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon. I appreciate you coming on.
2: No problem. Good afternoon.
0: All right. Premier Ford saying last hour that the province is set to accelerate vaccinations in long-term care homes, saying that they'll be completed by February 5th instead of the original date of February 15th. Good news, but is it coming too late, do you think?
2: It's absolutely coming too late. The reason why they're doing this right now is because there was a release from the science advisory table that showed that that was really urging the government to move it up, frankly, to the end of this week, because doing so would save roughly 600 projected cases and over 100 deaths. So, I mean, again, a dollar late. You know, what is it, a day late, a dollar short?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, having said that, of course, we're also short of uh, vaccines. So is the province, is their hands kind of uh, tied and are they waiting for the federal government and for Pfizer to deliver the promised vaccines?
2: Well, the most frustrating part about all of this is that we had enough vaccines to vaccinate long-term care from the very beginning, from December 14th. And when we look at the the numbers, right, they've already administered over 286,000 doses, yet only 46,000 of those have gone to long-term care residents. That's 46 of the roughly 75, 76,000. I mean, give me a break. Any way you cut it, that's failure. We did not move fast enough. There were other jurisdictions and other countries uh, that that far surpassed us to not only vaccinating the long-term care residents, but their their older population. I mean, that's another part. We're not projected to help our seniors in Ontario that live at home on their own, the many, um, until what, April? Even though that goes against the NACI recommendations to have older adults put in the first uh, phase of the vaccine rollout. I mean, we're just missing the mark on so many different areas.
0: I want to also ask you, uh, doctor, about Roberta Place in Barrie, which, of course, has been yep. making so much news. The premier was asked uh, once again during the press conference this afternoon, why not send in the military? He says yep. he was told it was not needed. He didn't say yep. who told him uh, that. But uh, what is your take on what's going on uh, there specif- specifically Sorry, and just overall in long-term care right now in the midst of the second wave?
2: Okay, what I'm getting really frankly irritated with is people not calling out properly when they have him on the line what i would give i would give my right arm to be able to be in that press room to ask him questions we have documented negligence not only at roberta place but tender care sunny crest st george care why are we not talking about the fact that we are still hearing about widespread preventable air ipac violations that are leading to mass casualties and not only is our government Evading the questions by throwing to border crossings and trying to, you know, that, that diversionary tactic, but not actually acknowledging that there's widespread negligence still happening 10 months in that is leading to mass casualty. I mean, we heard just now of an inspector that was in Roberta Place, January 12th to 13th. So this is at the start of their outbreak. Um, noticing things from having COVID-negative and COVID-positive residents sharing rooms, residents who were supposed to be confined to their room, ideally because they were COVID-positive, were wandering around and coming in close contact with healthy residents, staff providing care to both COVID-positive and COVID-negative residents. I mean, these are three dangerous faux pas that led to this particular inspector claiming that, quote-unquote, the licensee has failed to ensure that the home was a safe and secure environment for its residents. End quote. And we hear this time and time again. Where is the accountability? Where is the justice? Where is the promise that this won't keep happening and we're not going to keep losing seniors because of this government's inaction? That's what I want
0: to know. Dr. Stamatopoulos, I can hear the passion. I can hear the urgency in your voice, and I think it is shared by many. And if you could, would the big question for the premier be, first of all, who's giving you this advice not to bring the military in? If it is, you know, for example, people from Roberta Place, if they've shown negligence beforehand, should you be taking their advice now? And maybe is it time for the government to step up and show some leadership and just say, no, we have a crisis on our hands. We have to act. We need the military now.
2: There's no question. And and listen, I want to also clarify something that they, they bring this up as their rebuttal. Well, we have the Red Cross in there. No. Let's be very clear. The Red Cross are civilians, however great of people they are. They cannot provide health care. OK, I want to I don't think people realize this. They couldn't even until very recently help assist with feeding because they didn't have CPR training. Right. So this is a very different kettle of fish from the military calf teams that were sent in in the first wave that were comprised of two registered nurses, 12 medical technicians and a variety of general duties personnel. Why are you turning down three skilled healthcare care teams that could come in and stabilize some of the worst hit homes? It makes no sense.
0: You know, we have talked about this, uh, it seems like, for at least the last couple of weeks, about the military uh, coming in. We've had several people uh, question, is it because of the uh, report from uh, the last time they were around, that scathing report about how long-term care was being managed and uh, regulated? Do you believe that's the reason why they're not being called in?
2: Well, listen. Uh, whether that's, we can never mind read what they're thinking, but I will tell you from what I've heard on the ground floor from the families and the whistleblowers, the many workers who have reached out to me, uh, if there was another report, not only would you find that there were very few lessons learned from the first wave, but you'd find that things actually got worse. And I predicted a while ago when they pushed through bill 218, which was the negligence uh, liability legislation, you know, effectively, allowing nursing homes off the hook for COVID-19 liability. Now you have to prove gross negligence, which is completely precedent setting. Um, I predicted that doing that, providing that get out of jail free card would create this culture of further complacency within this sector. Why would it incentivize any of these nursing homes or these bad operators to do better if they know they have a get out of jail free card? Give me a break. I mean, this is inaction and, and just state promulgated genocide at this point, frankly.
0: All right, just finally, let me ask you, 40% of L, uh, long-term care homes, LTC homes in the province are currently under outbreak. Uh, the trending when it comes to mortality, it looks like we could surpass the first wave here we in will. the second wave. Having said all of that, uh, what can we do to stem the tide here? Is it call in the military? Is that what we need to, to get some uh, direct action?
2: Well, military for sure is one immediate crisis response. We also need to make sure we're getting more RNs, more nurses, and more PSWs in these homes. We need to make sure we're implementing infection prevention and control managers at each home, something Quebec has been doing for months and we've been begging this government to implement. That could have prevented all of these cases that we're hearing time and time again of these very clear and, and just ridiculous IPAC violations this late into the pandemic game. I mean, these things shouldn't be happening. Having more frequent inspections of all facilities. Why aren't we constantly deploying these inspectors round the clock to these homes to make sure they're actually providing safe places for these workers to work and these residents to live? I mean, give me a break. We have the infrastructure and we're not using it.
0: All right, Doctor, some good questions. Appreciate those hard questions you're asking and the passion as well here with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Anytime. Thank you.
0: Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos is an LTC advocate. You know, I think the word icon is used a little too liberally these days, but when it comes to Larry King, I think icon certainly applies. The longtime radio and TV host passing over the weekend at the age of 87, just weeks after being hospitalized for COVID, And joining us now to remember Larry King is TV critic Bill Brio. He joins us here on Global News Radio. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. As uh, somebody uh, personally who works in both TV and radio, I have certainly appreciated the work of uh, Larry King. Tell me, uh, give me your opinion. What do you think made Larry King so special?
3: Well, I had the good fortune to interview him a couple of times. And, um, you know, he was always very accessible to press and uh, seemed to enjoy being answering questions as much as he asked them, but uh, I, and I asked that about you know why he, he was able to do this so well so long, especially when he didn't really ever research his subjects, you know, he right. just went on it cold. Um, and basically, he just said he, he, two things one was that he never learned anything while he was talking, and the other was, you know, he was just, meaning he was a very good listener, and uh, he just had this tremendous curiosity. And I think that's so important and uh, really was uh, what made him so watchable because he would ask all the questions you'd want
0: answered. And he did it in such a casual way and really in such a way that uh, it just got right to the point. I mean, it was funny. I just, uh, you know, sometimes you go down a YouTube rabbit hole these days. Uh, when Eddie Van Halen uh, passed, I was watching a bunch of stuff on YouTube, and one of the things that came up was an interview with David Lee Roth from back in the uh, 80s with Larry King, and Larry just said to him, you left Van Halen, why? And it just seemed to kind of catch <laughs> David Lee Roth off guard, and you got a great answer from him.
3: <laughs> he did. You know, you're right. He was blunt to the point, and um, we loved it. And uh, I think that's what made it. You're right. People are caught off guard when you ask them a direct question. It's so rare these days. Um, I, I once was interviewing him, and I sort of blurted something like that back to him. It was about 20 years ago. I was at the Toronto Sun. He had, uh, you know, he had several heart attacks. 35 years ago, he had quadruple bypass surgery. Never was supposed to live this long, and uh, he had two young children when I was talking to him 20 years ago. And I said, "Do you have any regrets?" And he said, yeah, I'll never see my kids go to college. And I said, why, aren't they smart? (laughs) Instead of hanging up, you know, he just said, no, no, I won't live that long. You know, I I think it was fine to turn the tables on King because uh, he loved that kind of engagement and having fun, um, even if he maybe wanted to hang up on me that day.
0: Yeah, well, listen, he and CNN certainly came together, like any good relationship, they came together at exactly, it seems, the right time, Bill.
3: Yeah, no kidding. The CNN's been around 40 years now. They're coming off a huge year with Trump and the elections and all the horrible stuff in 2020. They're very popular. But back, you know, 35 years ago when he started there, he was the show. That He was the face of that network, and he had everybody on. You know, he had everyone from like Dolly Parton to the Dalai Rama I think charity there they made that remark and it's true like he interviewed Prince you know he interviewed uh, Suzanne Summers about her thymaster master one night and then you know might be a, a president of the United States the next so people all flocked to him this is back before there was really the internet or YouTube or anywhere you could look this up you had to watch it on Larry King
0: yeah, for those that weren't around during that time, the the mid to late 80s when he really took off, and certainly through the 90s, and the OJ trial especially, I mean, he made Cato Kalin a household name. But Larry King was like appointment television, right, Bill? Because you're right, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't this kind of 24-7 uh, news cycle, although that's what CNN was, uh, you know, uh, wanting and, and starting, but... Uh, You had to go, I mean, Ross Perot, when he announced that he was going to run for president, did it on Larry King. I mean, people uh, went there and, of course, a lot of people flocked to watch that show each and every night.
3: Yeah, and fought to get on it. You know, it meant everything. It would sell your book or your show or whatever you were doing. And you're right, Ross Perot, what a peppery character that was. (laughs) He was perfect for King, right? And uh, uh, people just saw everyone live and, um, I think it was just, you're right, you, you couldn't, um, TV wasn't as 24-7, we weren't as obsessed with the headlines, and this is before reality TV and the Kardashians, you really had to find it all on Larry King.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, and uh, times have changed uh, so much uh, since then. Uh, what do you think is Larry King's uh, legacy, Bill?
3: Um, just what we've been talking about, I think, you know, the art of asking direct questions, I think... Um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, who is the next Larry King? And I was stumped. Uh, there's nobody really quite like that. You know, I think we think of maybe, um, oh, you know, there's, there's very few people that have that kind of um, connection to an audience now. Um, so I just think there is, um, now that we've gone through this, uh, HCNN, especially, all of this political headlines, we're sort of looking for diversions that are more entertaining and fun and lighter and if there was a king now, boy, he would he would just clean up, I think, because people would be fascinated to just relax and watch uh, newsmakers talk and answer direct questions.
0: Yeah. By the way, do you know the backstory to the suspenders? Because I don't, and I've always wondered that. Because that, again, I think was part of Larry's genius. Because he could have went on there night after night like every other uh, TV presenter and news anchor and had the blazer on. But uh, those suspenders, stroke a genius.
3: It was. It was his trademark, and I think, you know, he just was trying to hold his pants up, Jeff. I I honestly don't know if it's any, any more complicated than that.
0: Bill, pleasure as always. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon and helping us remember the great Larry King.
3: Oh, anytime, Jeff. Take care.
0: All right. Be well. Larry King passing over the weekend at the age of 87.